Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Yes, I named the show after myself. I didn't think about naming it after other people. Just Abraham Lincoln's week in IndyCar. Yeah, thought that might be a little iffy. So yeah, named it after myself. <sighs> crazy, crazy weekend in Detroit. Talk about every emotion all at once. It felt like I think every emotion exhausted by the end of the event, probably more so for the competitors, drivers in particular, teams, just, oh, oh. it's truly a wear you out, make you wish there was a day in between, like a full day of nothing between the races, but nonetheless, back-to-back craziness, and here we are. So, this show, if you're listening for the first time or one of the first times and are wondering, it's very loose, it's conversational. Uh, there are other punchier, faster shows. This isn't one of them. So normally try and do this in an hour and a half or so. Can't say that's going to be achieved right now. We have, what was the number that our pal Jim Kaiser just sent over 127 (laughs) questions, uh, for a total of 5,862 words. By no means are we going to get to all of those, but going to get to as many as I can. And often we have a lot of folks asking similar questions. So we'll go with whichever one Jim said, you know, it's the best representative from the theme. And boy, do we have a lot of themes to get to here in just a moment. I'm going to say a couple of quick, awesome items. This show, it is indeed brought to you by Cooper Tires, the amazing folks from Finlay, Ohio. That makes sure not only Cooper tires are available for your road cars, but also the road to Indy is indeed running on mighty fine Cooper tire slicks. The Justice Brothers, really, truly awesome people, awesome friends, old friends there as well. They do wonderful stuff with automotive lubricants, chemicals, cleaners, etc., etc. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com. They do equally wonderful stuff with racing memorabilia, T-shirts, and so on. We love them a lot. So why am I saying this normal thing that I mentioned at the start of every show about our three partners? Why am I saying there's some awesomeness included? Well, here we are at approximately the middle of the year and got some great, great news over the weekend from our pals at Cooper Tires. And so... Guess who's coming back for 2022? So normally we figure this stuff out later in the year. Great conversation with Cooper Tires, and they said, yep, we are uh, we love what you're doing. Keep what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Love your listeners. Love the social media engagement. Just love it all and want to make sure that you know that we love it, and we're back. Let's just make sure that. Deal is done. So, hey, Cooper Tires, they're back yet again. I think next year, that will, that'll make it five years, I believe. So I'm, I'm a really fortunate person, and I'm overstating the obvious. It's not pandering. Uh, they're coming back because of you, uh, because you listen, you engage, you participate, you support, you do a lot of awesome things that they value. Obviously, this helps myself, my wife, and I. So that's just the cool little hoop snake circle of everything being awesome. 
one last thing to mention here, and it is over the last couple of weeks, I have been putting together a brand new merchandise page on marshallpruittpodcast.com. It is by no means finished. I have many, many, many more things to add. Some of you might have seen and even purchased the new Elio Castroneves Indy 500 commemorative sticker. There's a lot more there. Some of you ask, hey, I know that you have partners for the show, but how can we help? Well, that's kind of what the page is for. If you have a motivation or an interest to help, check it out. See if there's something that you like. And if so, make it yours. So last little note there, and this is just uh, yet again further proof of why I love our partners. New thing here, because the box just arrived. New thing here from the Justice Brothers who sent, oh, many, many, many pounds of stickers. So for those who do buy the Elio Castro Neves sticker, there will be a complimentary Justice Brothers sticker either full size or a slightly reduced size of the same one on the Meyershank Racing 06 Honda that he drove into Victory Lane. So love that little freebie add-on from the Justice Brothers with those orders. And, you know, I might just throw those in with other orders too. So anyways, the MarshallProPodcast.com site, new merchandise page. You might find something of interest. You might not. I don't know. There's a lot of stickers. There's a lot of stickers, and i got more to add, and magnets, and buttons, and really the merchandise is, again, I'm trying to figure it out, but the memorabilia part that's in the bottom part of the page, oh, that's the one where I probably have 500 to 1,000 items to place there because, you know, uh, I don't need a lot of the things that I've kept, and I need to pass those on to other people because... Uh, they don't pay the bills just sitting in my closet. So there you go. Thanks again to all of y'all who sent in some really fun, fun questions this week. A little bit of music bed to help us transition. Yes, indeed. We are going to get into your questions here. Once more, put together by our pal Jim Kaiser. We greatly, greatly appreciate. And what do we have to talk about? Oh, not much. Ah, So normally, again, for those who are maybe new or newish to the show, uh, we tend to open with one or two bigger themes, spend some time there, then pick up the pace with others. We got a couple of pretty significant ones, such as, I don't know, a red flag that made William Power the angriest guy we've seen in a long time. We've got Felix Rosenquist's crash. We've got Pato Ward and his ability on restarts and what's going on. Is there some sort of uh, secret thing that they're doing? A reporter friend of mine sent me an email last night saying, hey, I don't know if you've seen, but on Twitter there are some people saying, uh, you are saying, Pruitt, that uh, you believe uh, Air McLaren SP is cheating somehow, to which I said, oh, okay, well, they certainly aren't tagging me in any of it or including me, so, you know, I can't control what people take from what I write, but... You know, if anyone was curious, they certainly have ways to ask me. And I would then say, no, uh, I've never said that or felt that. But anyways, uh, draw your own conclusions if you want. Uh, So, hey, we had a little bit of craziness on Saturday. Thank 
goodness, our pal Felix Rosenquist is okay. Uh, I hate that a season that was already sideways and totally unsatisfactory for him and what he wanted out of it uh, took another step in the really unpleasant direction. Nonetheless, those are somewhat trivial things. Uh, He's okay. Is he going to drive this weekend at Road America? I truly don't know. I'd tell you if I did, I don't know. Knowing how beat up it sounds like he was, he's a gritty guy. Uh, He is a tough little SOB. So just know that if it's a matter of fighting through pain, he'll do that. But there's also the question of, are you able to get a hundred percent out of yourself? We don't know that we're recording this on a Monday, but whether it's Felix, whether it's Oliver Askew, uh, I think we can count on one of those two being in the car. Thankful that we have a bit of a break until Mid-Ohio. And then after Mid-Ohio, there's a even bigger break. So I expect Felix to be back soon. If it's this weekend, awesome. If it isn't, at least we know it won't be too big of a hiccup for him uh, before he gets back in the car. But let's get to... uh, Saturday's second red flag, which is the opening topic here. Uh, Let's see. We go with uh, Photographs with Film, a lovely, lovely screen name from Reddit. It seems that the red flag in Saturday's race was quite polarizing. What got me is there appeared to be sufficient laps to keep the race under full course yellow to at least get a, a one or two lap sprint to the flag. There also appeared, to my untrained eye, to be a car size gap in the fence less than 50 yards behind Romain Grishon's crashed car. So, what I want to know is, what is the precedent for getting a car off the track? Why couldn't they just get the darn thing off by hook or by crook, drag it back to the gap, and get the race going again? Why couldn't they slow the pace of the pack? to ensure that they had enough space and time to get the work done without having to go red. Closes by saying, I have to admit, I don't like this recent trend of throwing a red with minimal laps left. Heck, it's even infested F1 now, and it's a big risk and a distraction from the sport. Uh, Anyhow, I hope you and your wife, Shabrell, are doing fine. Well, thank you, Photographs with Film, a new participant in the show. And we, like I said, we've got a number, and I asked Jim to put as many of our new question askers, questioneers, whatever I should call you, uh, towards the front of the show, just to uh, just to celebrate y'all for doing that. Uh, I was going to say, uh, first time listeners sending in questions, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Hi, I've never listened to your show before, but I'm going to send in a question and then listen for the first time. I'm such an idiot. All right, I did this thing of reaching out to ask some folks at the uh, the organization that runs the uh, the aforementioned series, the, uh, the folks who put on the show, wanted to get a little bit of understanding here. And keep in mind, not going to be able to drill into every single thing. And I don't know if this is going to answer all questions that everybody had, but posed this thing in a similar way. Hey, not a lot of laps left there. 
on Saturday. Could we not have just stayed yellow and maybe done just as photographs with film suggested? Uh, from what I heard, and I apologize if it was on camera, then I missed it and forgotten, but I was told by someone on the subject that uh, Roman's car was towed, like lifted up to extract compared to just pulled back, which it sounds like that would be faster. Granted, he did wallop the wall pretty hard with the right side of the car. So was it a, quote, roller? Was it something that with a tow hook, someone could have quickly just strapped one to the back of the car and brought it behind that wall? And yes, there uh, there is a significant gap in the wall there, a gap that I have photographed from many times, photographed with films. Uh, it is an access point for emergency vehicles to go in and out of what I think in the IMSA race saw someone spin there and then drive into that gap and turn the car around and come back out. So it is a acknowledged access point. I don't know why uh, I really didn't reach out to get the specifics on the uh, extraction method for Roman's car uh, laid out, but here's a couple of things I can kind of paraphrase in reaching out to get some insights on that second uh, red compared to going full course yellow. Um, IndyCar obviously wants to provide a finish under green compared to yellow. Know that it looked like it should have been an easy extraction, quick extraction. My guess is without full knowledge of how easy it would or would not be to get the car out of the way, how much time that would consume, and whether that would indeed burn down the clock so that we finish under yellow. My guess is the call was, hey, we've already run crazy long, (laughs) right? We've already, this race is going super late. Accommodations have been made for TV for it to go super late. Uh, Let's just go ahead and make sure that all this time that we've been down to then try and come back and get the race in, let's at least try and reward folks with a checkered flag thrown under green conditions. So I think that's one maybe primary thought, hey, this has been a long hassle of a race. Timing of this is a little bit unfortunate. Let's make sure we have enough time to go back to green. Um, Let's see, what else stands out here? Uh, There are pre-race conditions that I know uh, the folks in race control look at at each race. Hey, if a yellow, were, or I mean, if a caution were required, a full course yellow were required towards the end of the race, what's the window where we would say, okay, uh, there's still enough time to throw a red, get it cleaned up and finish versus, yeah, there are too many laps that have been consumed. There's just not enough time, right? Not enough laps, I should say, left. Um, I think last year's Indy 500 probably falls under that category of, okay, um, there just weren't enough laps to do a red, get everything restarted, everything cycled, pit sequence possibly opening and so on, get the field gathered up, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, we didn't have a red. 
I think in this case, we could assume, just logically deduce, the amount of laps left in the race did not trip that threshold where IndyCar would say, nope, cannot possibly go red. We're just going to have to circulate under yellow and see what happens. Clearly, based on their the conditions they set for each race, there was enough time, in terms of laps, to be able to say, stop the race, get it cleaned up, we can go through our, quote, restart procedure, get the field moving, get the field fired up, do two laps behind the pace car, whatever it is, and then go. Um, that, I would say, is is another big thing to keep in mind. Um, knowing that Roman's car did indeed smash into the wall hard, that it wasn't something you could just roll out of the way, the visual, just straight from when we saw it on the uh, NBC broadcast, and there are a lot of comments that have come in about the broadcast, by the way. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I'll see how much memory I have left on the hard drive. I don't know if we can get into all that. But anyways, it's pretty clear from the initial footage that this car was not a roller. So again, I, I know I'm just reiterating that point again, but I think that plus the we haven't gone too far on the lap count to prevent us from going red. We could go red, get this out of the way, however much time it takes, and still get the restart procedure done, field moving, pace car, pace car out of the way, go green, and do this properly and get a proper finish. I think that's probably where the decision came from. Um, trying to think what else might mention here. Um, I think we also saw, and I apologize if this was from another crash, but I think we also saw the, uh, AMR safety team using the portable jaws of life to move a barrier around a little bit. I do know for sure that in Roman's crash here, the barrier did get moved a little bit. If the footage that I'm remembering was from of the jaws of life being used in that scenario is accurate, great. If not, I apologize. Nonetheless, he hit it hard enough to move the wall, and I know that they wanted to try and get that back into proper alignment. So a couple things here just to consider that might lean towards the outcome that they arrived at. Let's go red, have enough laps to do it, there we go. Um, trying to think what else there is to throw in here. I think that pretty much covers that off, photographs with film. So thank you. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Daniel Summersgill. Adding to this, had the two red flag causing incidents in race one occurred in the reverse order, as in Romaz first, would IndyCar have managed the race differently? Says hashtag me personally. The Groschamp incident would have been a caution, and Rosenquist's crash would have brought out, uh, would have brought the race to an early finish. I think that's that's a bit of a obvious uh, thing there, Daniel. If we're talking about Roman, this happening as early as it did, or comparatively early, what uh, Felix's crash was on lap twenty-five of seventy. Yeah, uh, I would say. 
the only thing that might have been a possible red flag uh, to cause a red flag would have been the barrier movement from his crash. So I know it wasn't like Felix's, which holy cow, knocked down a 7,000 pound, knocked over a 7,000 pound concrete wall. Uh, the K wall there. Holy what? Uh, yeah, that obviously that needed to get fixed, but all depends really. Uh, I think if they had seen that, you know, we're going to need a little while to get the wall, get everything lined up the way that it needs to be with romance crash would have been a judgment thing, obviously kind of a, all right. Yeah, no, I'm not sure a little bit more of a, in the middle, see where they decided to go on that. But Obviously, that's not the way it played out. But yes, had Felix's crash taken place within, you know, minutes of the finish of the race, yeah, I think we're done. And wow, uh, that would have been a scary way to end the race for sure. Okay, here's one. uh, Let's see. I don't know how far we want to crack this open because I'm still working on it. But uh, let's go with Sean Lee says, stupid question alert says if willpower was say in second place or third and whoever was in front of him didn't fire up and he inherited the lead would he be as mad at the red flag rules we'll take a sip of water here i need to uh, lubricate my throat here yeah yeah so oh boy we're gonna get into this one a little bit all right y'all know that i love willpower I think Will Power has a somewhat mutual love for yours truly, but we're good pals, okay? And that's separate from the race car driving side. Now, does that mean that I won't say what I think? No. Does that mean he won't call and tell me off? No. I mean, again, that's what people do. That's what friends do. Cool. Whatever. Um, Yeah. This situation with Will's car it not firing and the some of the tact and angles taken afterwards i i have to admit sean i'm not totally on board with some of it so one of my normal thought processes one of my normal approaches is if something happens and you're trying to figure out why well, don't just focus on what happened. Uh, try and step out and look at what didn't happen, right? So my mindset goes towards Will Power's car would not start. Do I focus all my energies first on why his power didn't or why his car didn't start? Or, hmm, actually, let's do the inverse. How many others? Right? What are we looking at trend-wise? It's the old race engineer in me. Okay. Always looking for trends, things where you can say, okay, this connects to that, and that connects to this, and here's some sort of arc, here's some sort of through line, here's something that connects. So when Will's car did not start, and they went, had a bit of a, bit of a moment, tried to fire, wouldn't fire, uh, Someone, whether it was Will or one of the two crew members allowed at the car, went over, 
didn't see exactly what switches were being flipped, but was clearly, you know, fumbling around trying to hit the right switches in the right order to get the thing to fire, wouldn't fire. And IndyCar, after seeing multiple attempts to fire the car and that not being successful, is telling them to move forward. Uh, they were being instructed to move the car up pit lane to create space for Marcus Erickson and all the cars behind him to pull away. Uh, Sato is one of them. Again, the drivers that were closest to him, pull away, pull away. As I understand, the team did not. And so what we saw was the cars behind, directly behind, I should say, being pushed back and then driving off and then the rest of the field following. Trying to run into a little bit of a, a sequence here. So what we saw was of the, whatever the exact number was, 22, 23 cars still running. Every single car fired up except for one, and that happened to be the leader. And I know that there are a number of you, I don't know how many, but I know there are a number of you who are mad at race control, feel that race control robbed willpower. They did wrong things, bad things. They were at fault. I know that will certainly unleashed on race control after the race and pointed a hundred percent of the blame in their direction. So my natural tendency is to say, huh, one out of 22 or 23 by percentages. Yeah. That's not a good look. If it was two, if it was three, I'd start to go like, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I can see some, a bigger issue being created here by the series, but just the thing that stood out right away was one car, just one. The fact that it was the first car on pit lane didn't actually land with me as a big item. It's a big sticking point. So Will, as we know, said that he was screaming for the team to bring fans to cool the cars, electronics. Said that to NBC Sports' Kevin Lee. We heard earlier, while he was sitting on pit lane, as he as it was replayed by NBC during the broadcast, Will's radio transmission screaming, calling for cooling fans. And when I say screaming, I'm not saying that in a dismissive way. I'm just saying there was a ton of urgency in his voice. We know that based on Will's interview after the race with Kevin, he said he was screaming for them to bring cooling fans because the ECU... In the ECU overheating, that's the engine control unit, for those who weren't aware, I apologize, is prone to failing. Whether it's a short-term fail, permanent fail, again, no specifics provided, but according to Will, he was trying to get his crew over to cool down the car to avoid there being any electronics issues. We know for sure 
that Will had an electronic issue. Get to what we think it might be in just a little bit. But again, I'm just trying to, we got to understand the flow and process here first. So here's the slightly problematic part. And this is the part where you just have to go by what is said, not the order that someone wants them to be said. Uh, The full transcript, the full audio of Will's radio communications, once his car came to a stop on pit lane, I've read the full transcript. I've listened to the full audio, right? So truly, Groshaw crashes, yellow flag comes out, then it's a red, cars are directed to pit lane per procedure, and they stop. Will being the first, being the leader, stops first. More cars stop directly behind him. Will, not too impressed about the going from yellow to red, you might understand a leader late in a race certainly doesn't want to see uh, a red as the leader. You could understand he would absolutely want it to go yellow, if not all the way to the finish to preserve his first place. Totally get that. Nothing, no argument at all. Who wouldn't want that if you were in the lead? <sighs> okay. So then we have the radio calls, right? Well, This is something that doesn't necessarily align with the version told to Kevin Lee uh, after the race sitting on pit wall where he absolutely unloaded on race control. He said he was calling for the cooling fans to cool the electronics. Kevin, wanting to confirm, however he phrased it, basically said, so you're saying... You weren't calling for the fans for you. You were wanting them for the electronics. Will said yes. So there was another affirmation there. You listen to the audio from the moment he stops on pit lane. And unfortunately, that conversation with his timing stand does not support that version of events. Uh, I need a fan. I need a fan immediately. Fan is what he yells. Pit stand says, we're coming, we're coming. Will says, please, please, please get me a fan, please. Timing stand says, they're coming, man, but we need IndyCar to give us the okay. We'll get to that part in a moment. This is the this is the pin in the grenade that got pulled by Will in terms of IndyCar officials and permissions for the crew to come to the car and put the cooling fans in place. Will responds, ugh. I'm about to pass out. They've got to effing let us have a fan. Then he says some other uncomplimentary things uh, about IndyCar and says, they got to effing give us a fan. I'm effing dying. And I'm saying that because these are shouted words. Uh, he follows that up with, please. Um, uh, I'm about to pass out. They've got to effing let us have a fan. Okay. That would be a bit of a difference from my first and only thoughts were about the car and its electronics and the ECU. So I'm just sharing with you the factual spoken uh, 
sequence of events. After that, after he gets a fan, timing stand says, you getting enough air in there, Will? He says, yes. It's a bit of a back and forth at that point. Timing stand, this is about three minutes and 45 seconds after the cars came down pit lane. Uh, talking to one crew, mem- crew member, do you have the electronics fan on? Um, no real indication whether they were or weren't, but just question, hey, do you have the electronics fan on, fans on? Um, there's a mention from Will from the fan that he has. The battery was starting to go. You can understand the frustration here. Here's another part that I did some asking around, just trying to get confirmation of process wise, right? Because the, the biggest sticking point I would say was the Indy car. They're doing something wrong by not letting crew members go straight to the car cars. The minute they uh, come to a stop on pit lane. Well, here's one thing. And again, this is always the trying to kick the problem we're staring at out of its scenario and look at others. This was the second red flag of the event. Obvious statement alert there. Apologize, but this was the second red flag. The first one took place, had Scott Dixon in the lead. He came in behind him, James Hinchcliffe, behind him, Santino Ferrucci, behind him, Alexander Rossi, Graham Rahal, <clears throat> Pato Ward, and so on and so forth. These are cars that were extremely hot when they hit pit lane um, and the red flag came in for Felix's crash. So realize that they circulated for a couple of laps before they got onto pit lane. Realize that there weren't a number of laps you know, we're not talking about lots and lots of laps to circulate uh, with Roman's crash. So I get that there's a bit of a difference there. Nonetheless, heat soak is going to happen. These are going to be hot cars nonetheless. Given the amount of time during the first red for the cars to cool down a bit, certainly a possibility that that would have been advantageous. But the takeaway here is hot day, humid day, everything's super toasty. And during that first red, cars came in. If we're talking about process, what did we see take place? This is the key part for me. We saw Scott Dixon come down. Right behind him was Hinch. Right behind him was Ferrucci. And they all stopped within um, just, you know, I don't know the exact to the millionth of a second time, but they all stopped within one or two seconds of each other, right? So whenever Dixon's car came to a physical halt, stopped. Again, it's one second, two seconds until Hinch stops and Santino and Rossi and so on. If we're talking about heat and heat soak, we can dismiss the concept that the person who stops first is somehow going to be in a radically different place with the heat of their car and electronics than say the person who stopped right behind them and the person in third and the person in fourth. 
it's not so close that oh my goodness the the difference between one or two seconds of sitting longer than the cars behind that is what fry the electronics not a reality not a thing we'll just leave it there so if there was a point in these cars being hot these cars sitting we're in will's anger and frustration and I fully get it. Uh, I got nothing negative to say about Will's anger about the misfortune that fell upon him. What happened procedurally during that second red flag was no different than what I saw. And I would imagine those of you who are either there and observing on pit lane or watching at home saw with the first red flag. So, Cars were very hot. The day was very hot. The humidity was very high. During the first red flag, this exact scenario, all stopped, order created, pit techs ready to monitor and police. Uh, Crew interactions with the cars is fully established and ready to go. Race control gives the thumbs up to the pit techs to say, let them go and follow them happens about 30 ish seconds. Again, could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less. Nonetheless, this exact thing that is being called out as wrong and foul. And why didn't you let them come running to the car with cooling things on the second red flag? It didn't happen on the first red flag or the previous red flag before that, or the red flag before that, or the other red flag at other races as much as i want to root for will and his assertion here indycar did nothing different than what it has done many times before so if they had i'd absolutely be blasting them like i would think everyone else would what are you doing you screwed the race leader you did something totally different than what you should have. That isn't rooted in fact or reality. And so that's why the frustration of losing the race and a little bit of shifting of the time of what was asked for and when and shuffling things around to make the argument stronger than it was. I get it. I get it we just have to look at the one reality though, not the one that gets shifted into an alternate fact. The reality is IndyCar did the same thing in the second red flags it did on the first. The process was the same. The cars were just as hot, maybe a smidge less hot since they had some time behind uh, the pace car, but still it's not like the cars go cold. Uh, regardless, if you get back to the heat argument, I don't know if that passes muster. We'll find out. I've asked Team Penske if they have gotten to the root of what happened. Asked me to check back. They're not there yet. Cool. Hopefully they'll tell us. Don't know. But I think a lot of what was presented as fact too hot, 
ECU failed, uh, was calling for cooling fans for the electronics right away. Some of these things, I don't know how much stock we should put into them. Why? Well, you know, as a person who's looking for trends, um, that number eight car that stopped one second after Will, that Marcus Erickson guy, his car fired up. Uh, the car right behind Marcus, that Takumasato guy, it fired up. I know that Will uses Chevrolet power, and Marcus and Takuma use Honda. So is there a whoa, whoa, is there a difference between Honda and Chevy in this regard? The person who pitted fourth, the person who stopped fourth in line. So what? What is that? Five seconds, seven seconds, ten seconds after Will came to a stop. Chevrolet powered Renus VK. Who was directly behind him? That would be Pato O'Ward in his Chevrolet powered car. Behind him, Simon Pagano, another Team Penske guy in his Chevrolet powered car in sixth place. So, again, the cars that stopped directly behind him, and there's you can't really say, oh, well, Will's car was eight seconds hotter, ten seconds hotter than theirs. That's the reason why he had the problem. That's not reality. Chevrolets and Hondas stopped right behind him and fired up right when they were told to. Off they went. Here's another little wrinkle. Sitting there idling, waiting to go as Will's car did not, as the team was being told to move the car out of the way so everyone else behind can go and was not. The cars behind Will were getting very hot to the point of almost overheating, I am told, by some of some of the radio communications I'm aware of. There were a variety of comments of, hey, I'm going to shut this down. It's about to overheat. So just sitting behind Will... No fans running, no anything, just cars in high heat, ambient conditions were on the verge of boiling over, which would suggest extremely high heat was a problem being experienced by all the cars, the 20-plus cars, directly behind Will. So, again, just centering in on this heat thing. Not saying heat isn't a known, isn't a problem. It just comes across as a little bit of a red herring. Uh, I know that there was not a lot, but there was some instructions of no, you're not turning it off. If it overheats, it overheats. But if you shut it off, we don't know. These some of these cars have gotten so hot, you would have to assume these would be the ones closer to will than not who'd been fired up maybe longer, who knows, but regardless, uh, some of them were on borderline engine temperatures. And if that's the case, you know that everything in the side pods and the engine bay is boiling. And yet, did we see them go dunk, 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 and all shut off because the ECUs were problematic? No, we did not. So the entire field, barring one car, fired up, and left and took part in the race. 
do you blame race control for that? I don't know how you do because it's an isolated incident with one vehicle. Um, another little wrinkle here to truly put this to bed. I've heard, not confirmed, but I've heard this may not have been an ECU. This might have been something that in racing is generically referred to as the PDU, Power Distribution Unit. Um, that is the... That is the central piece of technology in the car that manages power, as the power distribution unit PDU acronym would suggest. That is power, again, it is the power cop that feeds power to every place that the race car needs it. Um, In IndyCar, it is referred to as an IPS, which I told a friend I do believe stands for irritable Pruitt syndrome. Um, It's not IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, but it certainly, if it does prove to be what did not work, the IPS, intelligent power system, that would be a little weird if Will Power's intelligent power system went sideways Uh, from one thing i've heard from a few smart people there's a belief possibly not saying it's accurate just saying i've heard it from a couple folks who i rely on to tell me smart things say they've heard that there might have been some disagreement within the electronics with some of the switches being flipped while trying to fire will's car and the motor being turned over and the IPS basically saying, nope, and uh, going to sleep. And the known remedy for that is plugging in the master umbilical cord, the one that you see happens during practice, right? You see that big umbilical cord get plugged in uh, just to the, the right of the driver's leg in the cockpit. That is something that if... Will Powers team had a whatever 50, 75 foot umbilical cord. In theory, they might have been able to plug in while the car was sitting there at the head of pit lane. Granted, uh, there came a point where IndyCar said, get out of the way, let everybody go. And uh, you probably don't want people running over that thing. But as I understand, uh, to call it reboot the IPS, that is something that does require master umbilical cord being plugged in so that the uh, assistant engineers can indeed run through that process. So is that what it was? I don't know. Going to find out. Maybe. I hope. But Lord, a lot of folks have, uh, have asked about this and we'll see what comes of it. But was it the ECU? Was it the IPS? Don't know. Were there other cars that fell victim to this? No. That I would say of the whole scenario. Forget IndyCar as a series from an officiating standpoint. May or may not agree whether they should have gone red. I totally get that. But uh, for the scenario on pit lane for the second red, no different than the first and many that preceded it. There's only one car out of those two resumptions from red flags 
that failed to fire. It happened to be the leader. We know we saw from the video that there was, you know, a lot of moving of hands and flicking of switches within the car to try and get it to fire. Heard a theory from a couple of folks that might have been something that the IPS did not agree with. Could it have been the ECU? Entirely possible. Entirely possible. Hope to find out. Hope to have a deeper answer for you. And if so, uh, I'll probably include that in some words about the event. I'm not even halfway through my post-race rewind column, by the way. So, yeah, sorry about that. Take another sip of liquid here. Austin Merrill. Holy cow. First time question asker. Yes! Austin T. Merrill, at Austin T. Merrill. Thank you. Always appreciate it. We do have folks, and there's more coming here, who take the time to write in. This is Graham Rahal and others seem to be baffled at Pato Awards tire warming abilities on restarts. I should let you know that while I'm reading this, Pato and I have been texting back and forth about a variety of things. Um, Rahal seemed to imply there might have been some funny business from McLaren. Are they just butt hurt about getting beat? Or is there something here? Uh, Austin says, I think Pato is that good. All caps. Uh, as always, thanks to you for the hard work. Oh, stop it. Uh, says, I love IndyCar and the show, and uh, it says all the, the content, whatnot, massive part of what he loves. Well, I appreciate your bad taste, Austin. So I just shared with Pato a uh, <laughs> hilarious tweet from Max Lightshook. Lightshook? Oh, Max, I'm killing your last name, brother. Uh, Lightshook? Oh, you'll tell me, maybe. Anyways, uh, he responded to something saying he's heard. Uh, the team has a super special system in the car that nobody else has. It gives them amazing restarts and makes the car controllable when it shouldn't be. It's called the Performance at All Temperatures Optimizer. That's a great acronym, by the way, from Max for Pato. Performance at All Temperatures Optimizer. Yeah, well, let's not take too long on this because I've written about it before. It is certainly nothing new that I saw. It is something that should not hopefully surprise Pato's rivals. And it's that, yeah, that guy's hands are 10,000 times faster than I've seen in any karate or kung fu movie. Like, it just, there should be sound effects. of Every time he's correcting miniature slides on the steering wheel. That'd be a great thing for NBC to incorporate, by the way. Um, the guy has car control almost unlike something I've, I've never seen before in IndyCar. I have seen it. Juan Montoya, Scott Dixon, uh, Rossi is certainly capable of that. Uh, Herda, certainly capable of that. Power is capable of that. Talking the high wire acts, right? people where you go yeah the the things you can do walking on that wire a thousand feet above the desert floor or wherever it might be between buildings not a lot of people are capable of doing that want to do it like ugh, that's just a dreadful place to be in that high wire act because you're doing things that are so crazy they seem abnormal 
and possessing of immense risks. That is Pato. That is how he drives. That is something that is by no means new. Uh, just going back to writing about his championship winning season in Indy Lights in 2018. Uh, I saw him race before that. We'll admit that I didn't pay as close attention as I should have before he got the lights, but what we saw on Sunday, it's actually not a lot different than what we saw on Saturday. (laughs) It just wasn't featured at the front of the field and it didn't result in a win and it didn't have all the people that he passed going, Oh my God, what just happened? Um, but he did a lot of that on Saturday, right? Uh, he sure tore through the field, tore through a lot of people. And again, I would think super impressed. A lot of folks yet again, realize that it did not result in a win, but what he did get up to, uh, to third, um, and didn't, you know, uh, I realized that he started from pole, fell back a little ways, had to come back. But, you know, we saw him do some of these crazy ninja-like things, as our pal Lee Diffie likes to say. We saw him do some of these things on Saturday. They were just more amplified because the cameras were focused on it 100% to close the race on Sunday, and those who finished behind him were just mesmerized. So here's the answer. What? absolute without a doubt a legal thing do they have well again uh i would have to refer back to this little in-car system they've come up with called the performance at all temperatures optimizer uh aka p-a-t-o that's the super secret illegal thing they have if being that skilled is indeed illegal any of those who thought I was saying they have something illegal, I have no idea where you got that, by the way. But hey, um, like I said, I, you take whatever you want from the articles or the tweets or the whatever. Uh, this is nothing new. It was just something that befuddled a lot of those trying to keep him behind or maybe chase him down. This same, what? How did you just throw the car into the corner and have it stick and not spin and come out on the other end either with uh, a new position you gained or an advantage over uh, the person that you were leading. This is something we saw back in Indy Lights. I witnessed it in Indy Lights. Uh, I had fun back then. I don't know how much in print, but definitely just with him and giving him a hard time like what is going on like you've got some sort of like outer space physics defying thing where you can drive the car harder and more aggressive ask it to do things that others seemingly don't think to ask the car to do and then have it remain on the planet earth instead of flying off into outer space what do you what this is part of why the guy won the Indy Lights Championship and then was ripping passes on people in his first IndyCar races. Know that he did that first one qualifying fifth at Sonoma in 2018 to close the year. Then with Carlin 
right at Coda. Wasn't that his first race? And he's pulling off these mind blowing pass like passes. Just what? This is nothing new. That's uh, so that's the thing. I am super happy for those who are maybe looking Austin closer at what makes this kid so special uh, for the first time. Maybe it's the, Hey, uh, his rivals want some answers on how he's able to do that. Got it. I hear you. He's got the same car. Uh, realize that there are differences in engine suppliers. Realize that the engineering is different between teams. Obviously, there have been some huge gains on the Air McLaren SP engineering side. Uh, we'll always celebrate Craig Hampson and his influence on the team. Uh, Pato's engineer, Will Anderson, we just need to celebrate him for how good he has become in such a short amount of time. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago when Meyer Shank Racing engaged with Aero SPM, I think that's what it was called, in, was it 2018? Uh, Yeah, 2018, right? Engaged with them, limited six-race deal, and Will was the engineer attached to Jack Harvey's number 60 entry. And... They soon wanted him back. Uh, he and Hinch started working together, got a win or two. And here we are now where he's been partnered with Pato and all the immense promise that Aaron McLaren SP, again, I'll just call them what they're called today because I do freely admit I sometimes forget the 27 different name iterations they've had. They saw Will as a young up-and-coming race engineer who was going to be amazing, just going to take some time being promoted to that full race engineer, not assistant, but full race engineer, and go, go, go. And he's going, going, going. So there's amazing engineering behind Pato and Felix slash Oliver. There's ongoing help and improvement uh, with some of the brain power and resources available from McLaren. So altogether, there's a lot of great engineering that sits beneath Pato every time that he drives, but there's nothing different that they can do to the car, nothing different they can use than any other team. So you just have to start to appreciate that this kid is willing to, and he is a kid, right? I mean, he's 22 years old for Lord's sake. This kid's just asking the car to do some things that either others don't or maybe once did but have stopped doing as they've gotten a little older, uh, taking fewer risks. He takes risks that some others don't. And far more often than not, he is rewarded for it. And his fast hands, his insane car control, allows him to hold on to the vehicle when asking it to do some things that are a little, oh boy, I hope this works. And if it does, boy, we're going to pull out a huge gap. And if it doesn't, ah. not a crasher though, right? Not a guy who's always in the wall, always spinning, always whatever. So these are just some of the things. He's too young for us to put the crown on his head and say he's an all-time this or that. No, we're by no means doing that. Does he have tendencies 
that look a lot like a Scott Dixon and some others, some of the things that made them stand out in their early stage of their career, he does. Totally comfortable saying that. Having watched Scott from when he first came over here, having seen Montoya dating back to his barber sob days, you can absolutely look at Pacha and go, yep, he's in that same, I don't know how you do it, but you do it, and amazing things happen as a result. He's in that same category. Just going to need to give him some time, hopefully get some more wins, get some championships, then it becomes super easy to go, yeah, clearly this guy is among the best we've seen. He's not there yet, Austin, but the thing that had many of his rivals going, what did he just do to us? The guy's been doing it for years. Uh, Just seems like, for whatever reason, right about now, there are a lot of folks wondering uh, why they aren't, maybe. All right, uh, we're going to move on to who? Samuel Mills. Samuel, I love your first name. It's a great first name. Hey, Marshall, been listening to this podcast for a while now. I've never submitted a question. Thanks, Samuel. Really do appreciate you uh, stepping forward and would hope the rest of you who have wanted to but haven't, please do. This after watching Pato the last two years at Air McLaren SP, I've been wondering if he can knock off a championship and some more wins, do you think it turns him into a true contender from a McLaren Formula One seat down the road? Hmm. So I hope he gets to do some testing as Zach Brown promised that he would be able to do. I think he would be rather special in formula one. I don't know if we're talking about a race winner world champion. I don't know. Again, you kind of got to do the thing to have an idea as whether he can do the thing. I think, think with the pipeline of talent that McLaren currently has and the talent coming through the normal European open wheel ladder, I don't think there's going to be major voids and vacancies in terms of like, hey, we need someone, but where do we go? Who do we look to? I don't think Pato falls into that scenario. If there was just a genuine absence of, wow, not enough talent, and we've got this seat to fill, I think there could be a thing. Obviously, Lando Norris is making Daniel Ricciardo look less special than we've ever seen Ricciardo look. Know that Ricciardo's time at Renault, especially that first year, eh, more the team, I'd say. Last year, boy, he was right. There was some pretty impressive stuff. I don't know if Daniel's going to fully find his groove there. We'll find again, we'll find out. But if he doesn't, I don't know if McLaren says we're going to start this project with this kid who knows some of the tracks, but doesn't know the majority of the tracks. Um, we're going to start this project to see. I think the commercial side. Samuel is where there could be some unforeseen, or I guess they're foreseen because we're talking about them, but could be some things where you go, huh, I don't know if that's 
that's an area where we'd be comfortable in trying this. So Pato personality wise, we know that in F1, this kid's going to be off the charts, right? Such a huge personality, bubbly and fun and playful and all just right. They're going to love him. Knowing that McLaren is still chasing its first win in a really long time, that they already have a young kind of wunderkind talent in Lando Norris, who we might all agree is going to lead them into the future. I don't know if they say, well, we're going to take a gamble. We're going to take a risk. We're going to roll the dice and see if this kid who we think is amazing, if he's got it. And if he doesn't, well, we're actually harming ourselves in the overall championship frame. We are limiting the amount of points we are going to earn. And for the sponsors that we have who, again, want to be up front, want to be seen, want to get return on investment, I don't know if the team's in a place where they might try this. Two, three years ago, maybe. Um, You know, Fernando Alonso era where, yeah, the team could have put almost anybody in the car and it really wouldn't have mattered where they wouldn't have mattered because it still would have finished towards back. I think timing-wise, a couple years ago, Samuel, right now, if I had to make the call, if I was Zach, I'd say no as much as Pato maybe would be disappointed by that. I would say, hey, I think we've got a thing going here. Don't know if Ricardo's our long-term guy, but there's other talent in the field for sure that would be able to deliver right away. Right, Volteri Botas, is that a guy? Uh, he's not Formula One world champion material, but is that a guy who uh, I think might get a lot out of a Mercedes-powered McLaren car? Yes. Are there a couple others who could be considered? Yes. Just don't know, Samuel, if Pato would be top of the list there. So that's just strictly talking the Formula One side possibilities, blah, blah, blah. Keep in mind, McLaren is involved in IndyCar because they want to win in IndyCar. If I'm having to look at assets, I would look at Pato as the kid who compliments Lando. Lando going to lead the F1 team for many years to come as long as he decides to stay. Their future is secure with Lando, and as the team improves... Lando should start winning races. Pato is winning races. Pato is that guy for them in IndyCar. And knowing that the SP side, the Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson side, they've had some winners on the team. Simon Pagano obviously got them up to third in the championship before leaving for Penske of his three years there, a fifth, a third, and a fifth in the standings. Pretty amazing back when they were a, a small team by comparison. Hinch, of course, won some races for them. Uh, they're, they're not unfamiliar with winning. They've just been unfamiliar with being competitive everywhere they go, being someone that the rest of the teams are having to game plan for and go, oh, yeah, these guys are going to be a nightmare. Name the track. We are going to have to solve that Air McLaren SP puzzle with award among the other leading drivers too, but just saying they have what they dream of having in Formula One with Lando, they already have with Pato in IndyCar. 
So if I'm McLaren, I'm not kicking the legs out from under the momentum and potential, championship-winning potential they have at this very moment with Pato Award. Destabilizing the IndyCar team that they're involved with, with Sam, with Rick, to see if Pato might be comparable, an equal match, maybe even a little better than Lando. It's not going to happen in one year. It's definitely going to be at least a two-year, maybe a three, uh, to find that out. Are they willing to do that and risk their F1 progress and also kick the legs out from under what they're doing in IndyCar? not something i would do at all at all would involve pato in testing an f1 use his input and feedback and you name it great to get some different thoughts on what to improve and how to do things differently but i would not make that move therefore i can't imagine any of the smart people there would do the same if there's any caveat here to close on this subject samuel if there is any caveat it would be hey uh could some other drivers become available that might slot in nicely to backfill pato's position i'm not talking about these folks being available right away i don't pretend to know the links of all their contracts and out clauses or in clauses hey if you do this and do well then we automatically get you for another year or two again i'm not talking about any contractual knowledge here i'm just gonna spout some names hey alexander rossi uh you're pretty good at that indycar racing um want to come be our new team leader i would make that call if i was thinking of moving pato uh i would ring mr rossi right away say hi talk to us please we think you could be good at driving the good old race car uh hey renus vk no clue on your car thing but hey uh you sure look like you could win a lot of races and maybe be a champion for us um how you doing hey alex polo uh hey buddy how you doing um race cars driving them us what do you think we know colton's locked into a a long-term thing so i don't think there's any real thing there but hey Again, we're talking veterans. Sebastian Bourdais, uh, you might know a guy by the name Craig, name of Craig Hampson, uh, who um, you like won all your championships with, and then were with somewhat recently and won races again, and you've won races with him at a, a lot of events over the years. Uh, what do you think? So, just saying, uh, if you're going to risk a Pato experiment in F1, only way to do it would be if you knew you had someone who could step right in and keep the party going even then i still don't know if i would be uh rolling those dice uh let's see ryan gambler how you doing buddy says pato is sometimes compared to juan pablo montoya maybe this is another area they have in common amazing skill on cold tires yes just wanted to throw this in here because indeed the how did you do that that's not no that's not fair we don't believe you there's you got 
I don't know, industrial light and magic to do some animation during the race because we don't believe you just did that. Yes, it's it's the thing that's made me marvel over uh, Mr. It Is What It Is, Juan Monterrier, for so, so long. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to Elite Corey, a first-time question submitter. How you doing, Corey? Just any news on Felix? And says, why was Oliver the right guy to fill in? Um, haven't gotten any updates on Felix other than what the team that I can talk about, other than what the team has released. Uh, it just sounds like it was getting hit by a bunch of baseball bats and a lot of soft tissue damage compared to internal damage. Thankful for that. So he had an unfortunate UFC match that took place, Corey, uh, at turn six and turn six won, sadly. Um, but I, again, I don't, I don't know if there's any major reason to be concerned beyond the, Hey, just heal up, right? Just a question of, does he try and race back to get in the car or not? So, without having any knowledge of this, but just trying to think of what I would do. Would I have Oliver ask you, you know, under contract for another race, uh, at minimum as a backup and stand in, uh, if Felix tries to drive and does drive and says, Hey, all right, sorry. Um, whatever the problem is, uh, I need to step out. I make sure assuming that he does not have previous obligations that Oliver is headed to road America ready to fill in at a moment's notice if Felix is going to drive. And if they determined beforehand that he isn't, well, then I would say again, barring any other uh, things to get in the way of it, get Oliver back in that car. The right guy to fill in? Yeah, absolutely. Knows the team, knows the engineer, knows the teammate, knows the everything. I mean, he was just there uh, towards the end of last year, so or at the end of last year. So, yeah, I mean... If we're talking that similar thing of risks, although he had never raced at Detroit, this is the perfect guy to slot in who you don't have to spend an inordinate amount of time with talking about, okay, this is how we do our steering wheel and we put this button over here and you got to do this that way and this is that, 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 and that. Keep in mind they had qualifying at 9 a.m. the next morning. So if we're talking about bringing in someone truly new who had to learn everything, uh, even if it was a different, you know, a veteran IndyCar driver, but someone who was new to the team, uh, and our man Montoya was racing in, uh, in Europe in the uh, WEC round, so he wasn't an option, but uh, you don't really have time in this situation, Corey, to onboard someone totally new and explain to them all the different ways you do things or all the ways that make your team what it is. Introduce that person to everybody. Hi, meet your new chief mechanic who you've never known. Here's your engineer. Here's your this. There's no time at all for that. So what do you do? You call and say, hey, Oliver, uh, could you drive for us since you are here? And Oliver says, yeah, I can do that. And you do it. And it goes about as smoothly as you could ask. So right guy to fill in. They really didn't have time to play around with anything else. 
as I texted Oliver right after uh, the announcement came out, um, this wasn't on my prediction card for 2021. The world is a strange place. And I think he just responded saying, uh, you're telling me. So, yeah, uh, amazing uh, little coming a full circle there. Should mention, by the way, uh, I'll put out the call for questions in the morning, but Oliver will be our guest for the week in IndyCar. And I'll just share this real quickly. doesn't mean anything, but I always try and think of a guest that will be interesting. And if there's a timely aspect to it, you know, hey, this person just won something or whatever, that does factor in at times, but not always. I realize that I could invite nothing but higher profile, bigger name drivers, team owners, whatnot onto the show, and traffic would be higher and the reach would go farther and all those things. Eh, I got to admit, I don't care a lot about that. I really don't. I can't say I never care about it. There are some guests from time to time where I'm like, yeah, I know that that's going to be one that generates more traffic than others, but just sharing. And I don't know if any of you notice or care or if it's even worth mentioning, to be frank. But, yeah, I don't know if Oliver is going to do a second IndyCar race this year. He did one, love the kid, think he should be in the series. He was quick like a bunny uh, once he got a little bit into the race and figured out the track truly quick like a bunny. The, the the names of some of the drivers he posted faster laps then like you go oh oh, oh well that's not a joke um anyways i'm thinking who should we have on well let's have oliver ask you love the kid and i assume y'all many of you all follow the same kind of mindset uh, as my own of like yeah don't necessarily need the the big stars and heavy hitters all the time let's get in the folks that are Maybe more among us, more our type of people. So, Corey, thanks for sending that in. Uh, John Callanan, hey, this is the end of the main topics that we spend a lot of time on up front, believe it or not. More than an hour into the show, hey, it's one of those races, right? We uh, we deal with what we're given. Uh, John Callanan says, more info on the number seven throttle issue, please. In question form, he says, What the actual hell? (laughs) Uh, I love that phrase. I won't tell you who it is, but can I share that uh, after, after? No. Uh, In the days leading up to the Indy 500, got a text from an IndyCar team owner that used that same three of that, three of those leading letters. uh, What the actual uh, it wasn't hell. There was a, a, a word that starts with the letter F. Uh, got a W-T-A-F and some whatnot from a team owner. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was a funny exchange. I might put that in my autobiography. I'm probably never going to write, but anyways, just made me think of that, John. So, uh, on the topic of what caused Felix Rosenquist's crash, I have asked the team for a translation of the press release they sent out on the subject and asked for 
a translation into English. I did share with the team that there might be a difference in the average American, the average American compared to the average, say, European Formula One fan. I can't tell you about Formula One official communication styles, but for what was written and disseminated for the IndyCar fans in a North American championship about what happened, it had a very Formula One obfuscation feel to it. We're going to do our best to confuse you or throw in a bunch of words that don't necessarily say anything, all in the hope that you won't notice we just tried to not answer the question as to what happened. So I'll get to the what happened part in a moment. I don't have the answer, but I'll get to you in a moment. I'll get to that in a moment here. Uh, did ask for a, hey, could you convert that to English for my listeners and readers? Uh, have not had a response to that request. Again, might get a response, might not. If they don't, they're prerogative. What we were given was something that would say made a, a very strong and clear effort, John, and for those who've wondered, a very clear effort to absolve the, quote, non-guilty parties, the parties that, according to the team, right? I, I haven't, haven't had the car in front of me, haven't had anyone tell me, haven't been able to independently verify, like they'd let me even if I asked, but having to go by what the team chose to share, the team said, they have eliminated driver error. Got it. So take Felix out of the equation. I really never thought that was a thing to begin with, but good to know the thing that it looked like that, hey, this guy is truly, there's he did nothing wrong. That's the first thing they told us. So they cleared their driver. And then the second thing that they shared was they've eliminated any issues related to this is a key word, Chevrolet systems and software, including involving the throttle system. I'm going to park there for just a second, and then we'll get to the close of this. And the close of this is where folks are like, <sighs> so we need to deduce a little bit here. We need to do a little bit of sleuthery in the absence of team provided facts i always look at the words folks choose to share with real intent right hey you have a full dictionary of options of what you're going to say how you're going to say it the words you're going to present information paint a scenario how do you do it what do you use well could have said they have eliminated any issues related to electronics systems and software, including the throttle system, did not. Went specific with one name, Chevrolet. That's a great thing to know. Truly, it's a great thing to know. Because between the drive-by-wire throttle system and the Chevrolet engine that receives that electronic input, and moves the throttle assembly to 
add fuel, add air, add spark, add revs, make the thing go zoom, zoom, zoom. They wrote that there was nothing at fault with the Chevrolet systems and software, including the throttle system. I'm just going to take it on face value that, hey, there's nothing related to Chevy that led to this crash. I don't can't say that they wrote it that strong to make that full claim, but I'm willing to make that claim because the folks at Chevy Racing, the folks at Ilmore, I mean, truly, I, mean, I can't say they're better than Honda Performance Development, but I can say equally is the best in the business. Like, these are serious badasses. I have no doubt that in that crash that took place, Felix Rosenquist, nothing to do with it, and Chevrolet, nothing to do with it. So here, just to piggyback on this a little bit, eliminated driver error or any issues related to Chevrolet systems and software, well, Chevrolet isn't the only supplier or provider of systems and software on the vehicle. Can't tell you if this is what happened, but I've heard from a couple of very smart folks there's a belief that there was some form of problem with the throttle potentiometer and it being stuck in an open position, whether it was connected to the throttle pedal or not. Again, I have no idea. I don't even know if it's accurate, but I've heard that that is something that some folks believe was the root cause of things not being fully connected and talking to each other like they should and all of a sudden a potentiometer is telling the motor go to full throttle and there's no real fail-safe option. Um, Again, real, not real, I don't know. But this is where we are left because in the absence of either tell us or don't tell us, in the absence of insulting people, what you get is a lot of I don't know. So I hope the team will add some translation to that word salad uh if not then not Uh, these things always come to light at some point in time will absolutely come to light could be tomorrow could be a week could be a year don't know will admit i wish i was there um being there in person makes it so much easier to get to the heart of the matter than having to try and do it from two thousand miles away but regardless If and when I have the full and multi-angle confirmed account of what happened, John, trust me, it will not be kept secret. All right, friends, (laughs) I don't know if we've ever gotten this far into the show where we finally transition into more of the bread and butter questions that can be answered at a uh, less... Uh, involved rate, but I'm going to try. So we're going to kick things off here with Fred J. Melky, who says, I've listened to most of the podcasts this year, but this is my first question. Fred, thank you. Seriously. And your wife. Uh, I don't know her name, but please share her name with us so we can refer to her uh, appropriately as part of the uh, Weekend IndyCar family. Fred says, my wife wants to know what is up with all the loose rear wheels on the Indy cars, says uh, Graham Rahal at Indy, then several drivers at Detroit. Any idea what is behind what seems like 
the sudden increase, uh, what causes the loose wheel, problems with the gun, inattention to detail. Does the tire changer not know when it's on right? Uh, has there been some technical change recently which is causing this? Just seems to be an unusually high number of these recently. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Melky, I think you're on to it with the, the last item here. Yeah, there has been an unusually high number. There's no central cause. There's been no technical changes. Uh, the tire changers do indeed know when they've gotten it right or wrong. What is pretty much always the case is the person changing the tire, and the rear tires are overstating the obvious here, bigger, heavier, take more time to remove and replace. Therefore, they can be something that, if all goes well, all goes normal, they're done a second or two before the fuel is done going in. But if there's any kind of delay, it can match up pretty quickly to when the refueler yanks the fuel probe out of the car. And that action is traditionally the thing where a uh, crew chief or whomever is in charge of uh, sending the driver looks at the fuel probe being yanked as the final item to be completed before saying, Go away, you pesky IndyCar driver. (sighs) So, just share this little bit of a sidebar. And if this is happening in IndyCar right now and I don't know about it, then that's just my fault because I haven't been there for a little bit. In sports cars, especially the big prototype teams, this is going back, I don't know, a decade ago maybe, um, time-wise, when it first started becoming a thing. Sports car pit stops take three, four, five times as long as an IndyCar stop. So keep in mind that uh, this evolution is something where, all right, they had time to really watch and observe. And that was wheel guns with, and these are very expensive wheel guns, that are providing electronic torque data. And that is something that teams would watch and basically look for a green light. I think we have the same thing in Formula One right now. I don't know why my brain's a little foggy on that, but I do know that at least for the first time that I saw it, not saying it's the first time it was done, but at least it landed with me, was, say, 24 hours of Le Mans and maybe a decade ago, you know, the Audi team was doing it. There might have been some other of the top prototype teams, but they knew that, hey, uh, we're going to be out here for a while with these uh, these tires, double stint, triple stint maybe. We're going to be going for a while. We're going to be going a zillion miles an hour. Let's make really, really sure that they're on as tight as they should be. And so the evolution here was the insertion of electronics. Cool. That's pretty amazing. So right front tire changer does their job, torques the wheel in place, gets that wheel nut in there, hits the gun, torques the wheel crew. Now, again, I would say probably the car chief, the person standing in front of the car with the pit board, with the, uh, the board and whatnot holding it is just looking for green lights. 
And if you don't get one, if you get a red light, well, that whatever corner of the car, that torque is not accurate. Hit it again. And if it still doesn't happen, well, again, maybe who knows? Is the pressure on the bottle feeding the air gun? Is that enough? Who knows? Is there a problem there? Uh, Is there some other issue? Don't know. But long story short, hey, we're looking for green lights, four green lights before you can go away independent of whatever the fueler is doing for appropriate torque levels set, then we can go. Those are pit stops that take 30 plus seconds. So there's a bit of time to watch and see and make sure you got all green lights. Yeah. You know, in that magical eight, nine second IndyCar stop, is that something to consider? I don't know what the cost would be for the, the wheel guns are already very expensive. Um, you know, th- these things might not be super feasible to move to right away, Fred uh, and Mrs. Melky, but just something to share that in other places, more than just the person changing the wheel, thinking and being confident that they got proper, proper torque onto the wheel nut, there's actual... Here's some numbers. We've thrown in lights to confirm it's accurate. This is a, a mutual go or no-go situation we can all agree upon. That has evolved elsewhere. Would it be financially feasible and so on here? I don't know. Just But we know that exists. would say in general, it's been a little bit different uh, in what we've seen, how some of these problems have happened. Uh, what took place with joseph newgarden's wheel not being torqued i don't recall actually seeing the footage of him being uh sent or what happened there um i think they might have shown that though i'm just forgetting it but we know that graham rahal acknowledged he might not have waited for the full official go at indy when he left Uh, I know that there was a question a week or two ago and some other folks sending in some footage saying, hey, take a look and see it was on Ray Hall. I know that Graham's taking some responsibility for it. I'm not disagreeing with that at all, not saying he's wrong. I will share that having watched or having seen that replay uh, again, that his car chief did kind of raise his hand a little bit And it was something where, again, I'm not, this is not a blame thing. I'm just saying, I'm trying to understand why it happened. Graham said, yeah, I I don't know. I probably didn't get the official go sign. The hand movement lifting, uh, even just a little bit. I mean, that, I think most drivers would see that and perceive that to be go. Um, It's like they tell you at an auction, right? Uh, Be careful with your hand gestures because if you kind of reach up to scratch your ear, like truly scratch your ear, uh, the auctioneer might receive that as you placing a bid. Like just (laughs) don't put your hands up if you're not wanting to bid. Be really intentional with what you do with your hands. Otherwise, you could be signaling something that you didn't intend. It feels like that's what might have happened at Indy with Graham, then we saw what happened. Regardless, I think they came away from the race with a, okay, here's the ironclad way this is going to happen. If you see my hand move a little bit, that doesn't mean anything. Um, I'd just change it to flipping them off. Hey, 
Whether you could see my hand do all kinds of things until you see me flip you the bird, Ray Hall. Do not let that clutch go and take off. I'd do that because I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. But um, yeah, so there's that. I read Dalton Kellett's quote uh, because it happened to him as well. And he said he just left. Uh, it was his mistake. And I think he said he was in the habit of watching the refueler in his mirror, uh, something that sports car drivers do, and said, you know, readily acknowledged that, hey, that one's on me. I left without being told to go. And he did. So if there's another wheel coming off that I'm forgetting since then, uh, since Indy, I apologize. But uh, the, the overriding thing is if someone is struggling with a rear wheel change, it can add that extra second or two that has them doing things around the time the car chief is looking for the refueler to pull. And it's that thing where you, I wonder, is it green lights? Is it a hand raised? You know, that used to be the old thing. It used to be a common thing, right? Finish with your wheel, raise your hand. And so you're, the car chief's looking for four raised hands. I, I haven't seen that be a thing for quite some time. Maybe that needs to become standard practice. Right? Maybe it, it's strictly information exchange and alerts. Hey, hands up if you're done. And in the absence of a hand, don't send the car. I mean, that was the accepted system for a long time. Long, long time. Um, yeah. Uh, there were some... There's some other alert systems that have been in place for a long time. Uh, not uncommon, although, I ha again, I haven't seen a lot of this uh, as much as I used to, but used to be a scenario where, say, at Indy, for example, the left rear tire changer hidden behind the car a bit, hidden behind the refueler a bit, they would slap or tap or whatever the refueler's calf or leg or whatever when they were done. That's a system where you're looking to the refueler to pull from the car as the signal that the car, at least with the left rear changer, who can be a little bit hidden sometimes, that in terms of their business, those two are done. And if the refueler doesn't get that slap, doesn't get that whatever, even if the fuel is finished going in, they know to stay and wait because their buddy on the right to their right, the one changing the left rear tire, is not done yet. And so again, independent of the fuel being finished, refueler doesn't pull until they get that little smack. Incumbent upon then, knowing that those two have their system worked out, for the car chief to look at the other three tire changers and see that they're out of the way. Maybe they're raising hands, whatever it is. A variety of ways of doing this, but obviously if you're having a problem, if you're taking an extra second or two, you wouldn't want to have that person 
raise a hand to alert that they're having a problem because they need both hands to do the job. So just reason why you don't have the problem person raising a hand is, well, uh, that's taking away from trying to complete the job that's slowing down the pit stop. So couple options here. I uh, do appreciate the question and y'all sending this in for the first time. So thank you, Melky family. Oh, come on. We've got more first time questionnaires. Jeremiah at known as Jeremiah on Twitter. First time asking a question. How much longer will we see Andretti Autosports be a midfield team before changes are made and what possible changes could be seen? Yeah, uh, again, I know, and I may be repeating something a little bit from last week, probably the week before, and maybe even the week before that. This is a team where the results as recorded at the end of the races, by and large, have not matched well with their true potential. Alexander Rossi, I almost don't know what to say at this point in time. Um, He should have had a podium, maybe a win over the weekend. Wacky stuff, right? He gets front wing damage, and I'm still not totally sure when that happened, but between himself and the Bourdais, and was it Groshan in the middle? Uh, I apologize. Uh, But uh, he needs to change the... Hashtag front nose. <laughs> One of my favorite malapropisms in the world. Yep, hey, uh, so you had a lot of potential. Uh, you qualified well, and uh, and yeah, and hey, the cartoon anvil uh, refuses to leave you alone. Um, yeah. Uh, if he could clear the cash, that's not cash money, but in internet browser terms if he could clear the cash on his season if he could have an office space type hypnosis session don't necessarily want the guy to die afterwards but uh for those of you who've seen office space um i don't know what it is that he needs to be different but I know that I don't look at Alexander Rossi as the cause. Um, super quick sidebar and then coming back in 10 seconds or less. I'm a big different hands theory guy. If I'm struggling to get a bolt installed on a race car, and that happens to every mechanic many, many times, sometimes the different hands theory works. You say to your buddy, you, you don't always want to say it because you want to look you know, capable and, you know, whatever. But sometimes you just got to say to your buddy who's working on the other side of the car or is in charge of another car, could you come give this a try, please? I've been trying for 10 minutes and it, it, I, it refuses to go in. And whatever it is that they do, they do. And it does and it goes in and the problem solved and you move on. And you go, look, I don't know why, but different hands theory. You did, again, you made it work. Thank you. I've just been thinking of late, and this is nothing negative or critical meant towards Andretti Autosport, but I've just been thinking of late. Man, different hands theory for Alex. I don't know what team, but just part of me wonders, like, man, if there's a fifth Ganassi car, a third 
Aero McLaren SP, uh, and again, I'm not worrying about who uses what engine. I'm just saying, go to a good team, a race-winning team this year, a team that seems to be having no real funk to work through. Um, just been wondering, because the guy, it's so hard to watch, because he does. he has the talent to be first in the championship right now. Um, for any team it's just not happening with his and last year was also not quadruple great by any means so he was the standard for quite a few years there and it's bizarre to and by the way i've come back from the sidebar a little while ago it went more than 10 seconds i apologize um yeah this is a guy who should be running up front period end of statement um so yes it's really bizarre to think that the last time alexander rossi won a motor race it was 2019 at this upcoming event at road america what there have been multiple visits to road america since then there have been many, many motor races held, and he has not won since then. He's been on the podium, not this year, but he's been on the podium many times. Um, this is a big question mark to me. I don't know what is going on. Therefore, in my mind, since none of this makes sense and everything should be going in and fitting and producing great stuff, my mind just defaults a little bit to different hands theory. Um, Ryan Hunter Ray, similar situation where... I don't know if he's always been as competitive as Rossi this year, but there have been flashes, but then there's also been problems, some of them self-made, for sure. Things not going exactly as awesome as he had hoped on Saturday, for example. Sunday is a little bit of a disappointment as well. Colton Hurd is probably the biggest surprise. I would say that's the one that stands out to me the absolute most here, Jeremiah, and that is while Andretti Autosport for a larger portion of last season than they wanted to were lost in the wilderness, there was one outlier, as we well know, and that was Colton Herta. And not saying he won every race and all that, but I am saying, hey, as cartoon anvils were just, slamming in a hunter Ray and Rossi and so on. Uh, this is the guy who was cartoon anvil proof for the most part, Iowa, not a great weekend for him, but regardless, this is the guy who defied things go. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not a huge luck guy, right? It's not like he did anything to earn luck that the others didn't, but that's how the, the season panned out Had a very good year. Um, was better at times than his teammates for sure. Closed the season in a very strong position. Uh, finished third in the championship, which makes me realize I need to revise a story I filed today about Aaron McLaren SP saying that Pato finished third. Uh, he finished fourth. Idiot. Um, definitely know, though, that this has been a little bit of a surprise, right? Uh, he won, obviously. That's great. He's... Still seventh in the standings, but much higher up. Um, 
Indy wasn't great. Indy road course wasn't great. First race at Detroit wasn't great. He's able to hold on and get his second best finish of the year on Sunday, that being a fourth. The thing that really does stand out, though, and I'll I'll just read this because I just pulled it up so I can actually speak from knowledge. Last year, uh, Colton had three bad races out of the 14. And what do I define as bad? Well, outside the top 10. He finished 11th to close the uh, the year at St. Pete. 11th is not terrible, but again, for what we expect from him, what he's accustomed to doing, you know, he's a, a top three, top five guy at all times. He had a 19th and then another 19th at Iowa. So again, terrible Iowa. Everything else was a top 10. And a lot of those were top fives. Point being, even on the days where winning wasn't much of a thing, he was there, thereabouts, collecting very important points, being the outlier while the rest of the Andretti team was off and brought them home to third in the standings. Realize that he's currently leading the teams in the championship right now, so that hasn't changed. And none of what I'm saying is critical of Colton. Strictly looking at numbers, knowing that last year, 11 out of the 14 races, he had top 10 finishes, uh, had a win last year, and I'm just going to count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Half of the races, he finished in the top 5. Big points paying scenarios. Three races outside the top 10. So far... In 2021, through eight races, he has three finishes inside the top 10. All the rest, out, and most of them pretty seriously out. Obviously, wasn't his fault at Barber, getting taken out in the opening lap, finished second there. Um, And again, can't really say anything critical of him uh, at Texas. Was 22nd there on the first race, fifth right after that. IMS road course, eh, all right, not so great there. Uh, 13th, the 500 itself, 16th, and then 14th again on Saturday at Detroit. So the magic of last year where so few races had poor finishes and so many points were collected, it's been a little bit of the inverse this year. And so that's been a little strange. There's certainly been some reasons for some of those not great finishes, though you can't pin on him entirely. Hinch, I just don't know. I really don't know what's going on there. Um, There's been the theory that he's had a leg injury the whole time, that he's been masking and blah, blah, blah. Great, sure, you bet. Um, He was running second. (laughs) He was running second at the time of the red flag, the first red flag on Saturday. Uh... Detroit, a place that beats the living poop out of you, and there's many very hard braking moments and throttle and balancing the car between the two with the two pedals and yada 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 yada. Um, Just saying that this is the track that should have exposed him as being unfit physically and those physical injuries to be a crazy liability. That didn't happen. So 
obviously results did not pan out what he wanted needed to pull back out of the line during that red flag to get some fuel had to start at the back and you know things escalated from there but hinch's best finish was delivered in race two on sunday and this is the part that again i i just i don't know his best finish of the year was delivered 14th place 14th out of 25 cars everything else has been worse um so i i totally get the what's gonna change what needs to change a lot of it just feels like a lot of bad things conspiring to look like the team as a whole is way the heck off i don't think that's totally accurate i really don't i have a sneaking suspicion this weekend jeremiah which please fire in a question if i'm wrong and we're gonna dive into it some more but i have a feeling this weekend at road america we're going to see the andretti team as normal colton alexander and hunter ray up towards the front on pole there there about something like that hinch i would expect as well to go very very well his program's been not sharp from the beginning. There's been a lot of things happen. Again, not necessarily his fault. Sometimes where you go, I don't know where you point the finger, but I didn't see anything drastic go wrong. So where's the lack of speed compared to teammates? I don't know. Uh, I haven't had a chance to catch up with him and really dive into it, but uh, it's on my mental list of things that I need to do. But I'm not ready to hit the, all right, uh, we need a new head coach. We need new offensive and defensive coordinators, and we need all kinds of things changed. Um, I'm not there yet because the same people who were involved when things were at their best uh, are certainly still there, and they haven't forgotten how to engineer, mechanic, uh, manage, drive, etc., um, this is a situation where you don't panic. That's maybe the overriding thing I can share, Jeremiah. Is disappointment high? Oh, yes. Uh, is this a time to blow a lot of people out? No. You need to get a little farther through the season and hopefully have some of the normalcy we expect to uh, come into play. Um, I need to make a decision here, y'all, because... I'm staring at, well, I'm just going to read here. Uh, this is just the amount of questions Tim put above the cut line. Like 1,500 words is about what I ask him to do per show. Um, but we had so many heavy-hitting topics that, again, it's just pushed the show way deep uh, before getting into things. Just reading here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8... 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. 16 questions to go before we get to the cutoff line. Uh, and then it's 3,000-plus uh, words, 4,000-plus words from there uh, that aren't above the cut line. In the interest of not uh, making your all, y'all's ears um, explode, I think I'm going to make a uh, call an audible here and say, going to wrap this episode. Wasn't really planning on doing two, but schedule wise, I do believe I am able to do a second here. 
uh, maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest. You know, we've got another race coming right up. So, you know, putting away the one that just finished is always a motivation. Uh, there's some other stuff happening, too, in the sports car world, which uh, I can't speak about at all. But uh, there's going to be a lot to write about there as well and uh, and do from a work standpoint. So let's do this. I'm going to say thank you to y'all for your great questions. So many of you who sent in first questions. And uh, there's some more coming, actually, in the 16 that I didn't get to. And we'll see. Maybe I can uh, go down below the cut line. Um, not going to say I'm going to do another two-hour episode, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we get to. But I uh, just want to say thank you. Uh, also just going to say farewell. So we're going to wrap this one up. Cooper Tires, thank you for saying, hey, we're coming back again. Uh we're going to do the DJ Khaled another one. So that's awesome. Yeah, let's do, uh, let's get into year five. So thank you, Justice Brothers as well. One more reminder, marshallpruittpodcast.com, the merch page. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, if it interests you, please acquire some of it, and I will be eternally grateful um, as we will in general here at home. Um, the cats, too, are going to say thanks and going to try and get some more stuff here loaded up so thanks to you who decide to participate in that then also to torontomotorsports.com for all that they do huge thank you so oh, part one's done there's going to be a part two we'll speak to you momentarily <laughs>